Welcome to the Engineering Dreams Space Show hosted by Paul Spain. I am Jess, the CEO of Engineering Dreams. Today I'd like to introduce a space entrepreneur and pioneer. As a co-founder of Rocket Lab, he has helped put New Zealand on the world map for the space industry. This in itself has created an ecosystem for space entrepreneurs, businesses and startups all wanting to be part of this exciting new industry. With a passion for innovation and continuing to be a leader in space and technology, in 2018, we founded Clear Aerospace. Please welcome Mark Rocket. Well, it's fantastic to be here for another episode of the Engineering Dreams.Space podcast uh, and very privileged to be with Mark Rocket. How are you, Mark? I am great. Thanks, Paul. Look, uh, we're, we're separated a little bit on this occasion. Uh, thanks to the, the joys of uh, COVID, we can't be uh, in, in studio together. Um, but fortunately, the technology makes this all, uh, all very easy. Uh, so look, there's, there's so many things I want to ask you. I'm not quite sure, uh, quite sure where uh, to start um, because you've, you've just had so much involvement in the world of, of space uh, over, a, over a long period. Um, maybe you can just give us a little bit of a starter on, uh, on what your background was that, uh, that triggered that first uh, interest in, in space and then we can move forward from there. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah, for as long as I can remember, I've always been fascinated by space technology, space travel, and read a lot of books, a lot of science fiction when I was growing up, and a lot of great films, um, you know, Star Wars Generation Kid, and uh, yeah, I remember being um, in a caravan in Rakaia watching the Alien movie for the first time and got pretty scared about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's still one of my favourite movies, and I just love the way that it's, so the, the gritty realism, you know, the way that it's done is, is, is fantastic. Um, but yeah, hope, hopefully we're not going to meet too many terrifying xenomorphs with uh, acid blood and protractable jaws uh, in space anytime soon. But I uh, just love that technology and, and, and you know, the, the stories. And uh, it's, it's kind of like a glimpse into our future. You know, if you look at Blade Runner and things like that, you know, there's, you know, I, I find the, the technology quite compelling about what, what's just around the corner. And yeah, I, I guess... Um, I've been involved with the internet industry for a while and um, had some success there and sold one of my companies and uh, then I saw that Virgin Galactic had some tickets uh, up for um, an, an option to, to look at it in the mid-2000s and uh, yeah, so I basically got a ticket with uh, Virgin Galactic and then I went to the International Space Development Conference and saw all the exciting new technologies that were emerging and thought there's a lot happening in one half of the planet, but not so much happening in the southern hemisphere. So I, I thought it'd be kind of interesting to see if there would be an opportunity for New Zealand to participate in this emerging private space industry. And um, yeah, a guy called Peter Beck um, heard, heard about me um, expressing an interest to see uh, something develop here and got in touch. And, and then we started commercial operations of Rocket Lab together in, in 2007. And it was great to be part of that. I think, you know, in the early days, people didn't really believe that New Zealand could effectively participate in the international space industry. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty hard going early, early on. But, you know, it's great to see where, where Rocket Lab is now. Absolutely. I mean, an incredible, uh, incredible success story. And, uh, you know, I think it's really helped put, uh, put New Zealand 
on the map from uh, an aerospace uh, perspective, you know, and uh, you know, very very exciting to see that uh, that that continue. Um, but of course, for a company like Rocket, Rocket Lab to to get where it's got today, and and in fact the whole aerospace sector, um, you know, really requires uh, true visionaries who who can uh, you know believe something that that most people can't see. And were there particular things for you that you started sort of um, feeling and sort of seeing? That gave you an indication that something might be possible, um, you know, for New Zealand in those in those early early days. Were there were there any triggers? Yeah, I, I think overall there was just a, a general frustration. Uh, you know, what happened to the reasonable expectations of Arthur C. Clarke's two thousand and one? You know, where are the space hotels, the moon bases? You know, you know, the Apollo program progressed the technology so quickly. Uh, and then the space shuttle was developed in the 70s and launched um, early 80s. And um, since then, things sort of uh, really flatlined as far as um, spaceflight exploration. You know, we only got to the moon. We left the moon December 14th, 1972. And, uh, you know, that's about as far as we've got. Uh, and we haven't had any women step onto the moon yet. Uh, I mean, not just everything kind of has stopped. So... It would be um, yeah great to see a lot more happening and, and a lot more innovation happening. But I think I think you know the government programs they had uh, all sorts of different motivations for pushing forward quickly, and for whatever reason uh, those aspirations kind of got diluted. Uh, but then it was really exciting to see you know in the two thousands uh, this this whole new emergence of this private space industry. And really what happened was a, a lot of computer geeks got rich. You know, these people that had been growing up watching, um, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek, et cetera, um, you know, that they, they basically had a bit of money and wanted to pursue their, their dreams. So if, if you look at a, a lot of the early innovators uh, from Elon Musk to Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people uh, had basically put money uh, into the space industry. And we had a, convergence of technologies around computing power and, and all sorts of things. So, yeah, I think that that was the kind of key change for a lot of people around the world where we actually did have another movement in, in the upwards direction. And then, yeah, again, the a sort of key moment for me was was um, at that 2006 Space Development Conference, and I thought, well, if this is all happening around the world, there must be an opportunity for New Zealand. And I think initially it was kind of hard to sort of try and find out where New Zealand would fit into all that because all of the other serious bits of space hardware had come from countries with major investment in the uh, military-industrial complex and, and aerospace programs. And, you know, New Zealand had very little investment in, in that way. But conversely, it actually does create a blank piece of paper. And, it, you know, it actually created scope for New Zealand to approach things in a completely different way from, a, you know, purely commercial basis without any of that kind of legacy and the way things that, you know, had been done before, you could kind of leave them on the side and, and basically just think, you know, what's the best way to do it right now with the technology that we have right now? So I think it does create opportunities for New Zealand uh, then and, and now going, going forward. You know, we, we can do things in a different way. And, you know, we, we're never going to have the massive budgets that other countries have, um, but, you know, we, we can look at things from a fresh pers perspective. And, you know, that, that's also 
got, got me thinking about you know, setting up another company in, in 2018 called Kia Aerospace and uh, really wanted to see something happen here in the South Island as well as you know what we've got going in Auckland. I, I thought it'd be great to um, to have something down at the bottom half of the of the country as well. Yeah, well, I think that's that, that's pretty uh, pretty pleasing. So um, after after Rocket Lab, was there sort of a, a gap in between where you were looking? Did it take a long time to sort of decide uh, to start Care Aerospace? And and um, you know how did how did all that fall into place? Yeah, yeah, I left the company um, in, in twenty eleven. We we had um, some earthquakes and other stuff going on and. Uh, I had a young family, so I thought it was a good time just to take a, a few years out. Um, and, yeah, then, you know, having that gap it made me think, you know, what, what's the kind of next opportunity that uh, that I wanted to be involved with? And I, I did really want to get back into aerospace. And I initially started thinking around trying to leverage off the orbital platform that we've got with Rocket Lab and, you know, what are the opportunities to put hardware in, into space? You know, what can we develop here? But I found it very difficult to try and find that unique point of difference where, where there's a strong uh, commercial uh, story behind it. I, th- I think it will it will happen. But um, there's a, again, there's a lot of other universities around the world building cool CubeSats and all sorts of people doing really uh, interesting stuff. But it's going to take a while to kind of build up that momentum. It feels like it's, it's kind of like the internet in the mid-90s where, where we know there's going to be some really great stuff happening in the internet industry, but we didn't really know about Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and, and all these other behemoths that came along that uh, uh, yeah, re- really created a, a strong commercial uh, area. Yeah, so true. And so um, tell us about sort of getting, getting um, you know, the, the uh, kickoff of Care Aerospace and uh, what the original opportunity was that, um, that you saw and uh, how long you sort of expect to um, to deliver on that? Because I've you know I've seen um, you know photos and and pictures on this uh, in- incredible um, solar powered uh, plane that I under- understand is uh, you know designed to sort of uh, you know fly um, you know twenty kilometres or so up into the into the stratosphere and uh, and stay up there for a, for a very long time. Um, that uh, that seems really really impressive, but doesn't sound like something that's probably particularly easy to achieve either. Yeah, and there's definitely some technical challenges uh, that we uh, have ahead of us. But yeah, in 2018, I was looking around for different ideas and just started talking to a bunch of people. And uh, one, one fellow I talked to, um, Dr. Philip Sultrop, uh, he'd actually come from Germany. He'd seen what we'd done at Rocket Lab, and he'd come. Uh, from Germany to study at uh, University of Canterbury here. And we started having some conversations and chucking around ideas. And, uh, yeah, he had basically seen this um, stratospheric aircraft uh, that had been done, you know, Airbus uh, and a few other people have actually uh, created these these vehicles. Um, and But, yeah, some of that technology was developed in the sort of uh, early 2000s. And I, we sort of thought that there could be an opportunity with this convergence of, Computing power, batteries, uh, solar panels, uh, composite materials. You know, basically, what you need to do is create something you know really robust but extremely light. And obviously, you know, power management is another key part to it. And and um, you know, with this development of these technologies, we we thought that uh, it was worth having a closer look at. And and yeah, we we found it you know quite compelling once once we sort of dug into it. And you know, with um, 
Philip's unique capabilities and and uh, you know we, we've we've built up a, a really really great team. So yeah, I mean we are where we are now. We're um, you know we're underway with um, designing the the aircraft and uh, looking at building it next year. Uh, we're doing a bunch of flight tests at the moment with, at, a, at smaller scale prototypes and doing some stratospheric balloon launches to kind of test the hardware in that environment and communications, etc. Uh, and then we're looking to do our, our first uh, flight of the Kia Atmos aircraft in uh, sort of around February 23. Fantastic, fantastic. And how hard has it been to um, to pull this together in terms of finding the right sort of uh, people, the right expertise? Uh, you know, how has the, the talent pool been uh, here in New Zealand in, in terms of, you know, those coming through the university system, um, access to, to talent from offshore, um, and um, and where does the where does the government fit into all, all of these sorts of things? Because it does seem to to vary from uh, you know country to country in terms of how um, how much you know government helps, or at times sort of can you know really sl- you know slow things down. Uh, sometimes those those wheels in government uh, turn very very slowly, um, and of course that that really impacts on these sort of uh, you know innovative uh, endeavours. Yeah, well, we started off um, being based at UC and you know, one of our key motivations was to employ a bunch of graduates so they didn't have to go off and work in Auckland and uh, and, and other places beyond. There, were, there weren't that many aerospace uh, jobs here for, for a lot of those fantastic graduates coming out of UC. So, um, yeah, that, that, that was a key motivation and uh, we've got around 15 team, team members and about half of them are UC graduates, which is great. So yeah, we, we actually found a lot of lot of local talent. Um, we did want to bring in a few people from the northern hemisphere, um, but we couldn't get them through uh, the border. Obviously, you've probably heard a lot of Paul about the uh, EMIQ uh, issues that uh, a lot of companies have, have experienced. Uh, but yeah, we we pulled in a few, well, as as it happens, we've got a few Aussies and a South African and um, uh, yeah, obviously a German. And uh, a few, few other, but most of the people um, are New Zealanders, and uh, yeah, most of them came from uh, Canterbury. So yeah, really lucky that there were you know so many talented people, uh, you know, from engineers um, to you know aer- aerodynamics to structures. You know, we actually have a, a lot of really great, great capability here. So so we got got pretty lucky uh, with finding some some really wonderful talented people. That's great. It's it's. I think it's fantastic being able to, um, you know, develop that raw talent and and create those local opportunities so that you know our best and brightest don't have to, uh, you know, end up departing off to the other the other side of the the planet to uh, to get uh, experience and to be able to build uh, you know, local entities, and um, you know with the. The challenges that uh, COVID and the managed isolation system, you know, very very limited access. You know, we've we've certainly heard from from Whisk and and um, and others about the the challenges and and what that's meant. Um, how has that played out for uh, for you and your team? Can you work with employees that are that are based in other parts of the world, or do you really need to have your team together? Yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been focused on on building team locally, and uh, yeah. Remote options haven't really um, been on our radar, um, but you know it may happen down, down the track. Uh, but yeah, certainly, certainly um, you know the government has, has been very supportive. You know the uh, different agencies that we're working with. You know we're really pleased that Kia Aerospace was 
the first New Zealand-based company to be invited into the airspace integration trials, which essentially helps new technology to be integrated into New Zealand's airspace. Uh, MB have been really fantastic and uh, a bunch of other agencies, you know, CAA, you know, it's been great working with them. So, yeah, but certainly there's a lot of people that can kind of see the vision of what we're doing and, and we're getting a, a lot of local and national support for that. I guess one of the one of the challenges can be uh, getting you know getting funding, getting the right investors on board, and I know that was obviously quite a big uh, task with uh, with Rocket Lab. Um, how how do you see that picture has maybe changed from um, those early days of of co founding uh, Rocket Lab and and needing to uh, to get funding to um, you know the current uh, situation. Uh, with Kia Aerospace, yeah, I remember the early days of Rocket Lab, where um, it, was, it was hard going. Paul, um, you know, we, we were trying to get a sponsor for our first uh, space launch, which you thought would be a no-brainer, right? I mean, having your logo on the side of New Zealand's first attempt to get into space, you know, we just thought uh, everyone would want to jump at that. But uh, yeah, we 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 met to all the top uh, companies, organisations around New Zealand, and uh, ended up at a lot of boardroom discussions. But no one actually wanted to uh, to sign up to that one. Uh, maybe they just thought it was too risky that it was going to blow up or whatever and just didn't think we could get anywhere close. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, early on, um, definitely we were banging our, whole, our heads against the wall a little bit. Uh, but, you know, Rocket Lab has gone on to you know, secure that uh, international investment and has really put put New Zealand on the map for aerospace and, and high tech. Uh, and I think it has uh, attracted a lot of other investment into other, other companies. So... Yeah, I think things have got a lot easier and, you know, New Zealand is, is recognised as uh, an investor-friendly place and um, we went through an investment round um, earlier this year and uh, talked to about 50 different potential investors and um, had a few people that we could have worked with and in the end we um, chose a fantastic investor. He's a New Zealand um, citizen but uh, he's based in Austria and he's got an amazing uh, track record, uh, very successful uh, business person and you know it's great to have his expertise on the board so yeah I think you know we're seeing other other companies you know like Whisk that uh, are bringing jobs and uh, an investment into New Zealand and Merlin Labs is, is another one based in the US and, and, and bringing uh, their their project here and there's a bu- bunch of other companies that are doing interesting things so I, th- I think it is great that you know these international entities are seeing New Zealand as a great place to to do the aerospace R and D work, yeah, it's it's uh, it's re- really encouraging. Um, you know, for those that are that are curious, how how um, how much time goes into that uh, that side of uh, of raising raising funds, and uh, you know, has that has that got uh, got a lot easier? Uh, you know, in the current time compared to uh, raising you know funds early on for for Rocket Lab. Yeah, I think there's so many variables. You know, timing comes down to timing is everything, Paul. I mean, you've got to be on the radar of the right person at the right time. Um, so, yeah, I think that sometimes you just get the timing wrong and it, it, it takes a lot longer. So I don't know if there's any sort of definitive um, time frame that you can put on something like that. And at the end of the day, you need to, whatever you're doing, you need to kind of package it up in a compelling way that gets people excited and, and uh, you know, get pe- get, it resonates. Uh, so I think, you know, putting a lot of work into articulating the story and what you're trying to do and putting a strong commercial case behind it, 
you know, it accounts for a lot. So I think, you know, getting that, that right and, and not, you know, doing it in a half-hearted uh, kind of way, you, re- you really need to zoom in on that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and so I would love to hear a bit more about some of the you know some of the detail of um, of what you've been working on um, at Care because it, it does sound uh, sound pretty exciting. What uh, what more can you tell us around uh, you know what you've achieved to date and uh, you know what you see as the uh, the potential sort of you know business model and and you know who you would anticipate um, being able to. Uh, uh, is it services that you're going to sell? As sort of a, you know, what what does that piece look like as well? Yeah, well, at the moment we're working on smaller prototype vehicles, so we're testing autonomous systems, communications, and and design tools. And um, you know, February next year, uh, we're looking at doing a a world record attempt for a small vehicle under twenty five kgs. Um, hopefully, we can be on on track for that. And uh, we've only got a short win window of opportunity um, around having enough uh, sun hours and then on top of that we need you know four or five days where we don't have uh, too much wind to, to have a crack at that um, so that that's sort of testing uh, a bunch of the stuff that we're working on then we'll uh, complete the design of the vehicle then build a quarter scale version of the care atmos and and sort of do some tests with that next year uh, meanwhile, we'll be build, building the, the full-scale vehicle. Um, and, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of other kind of milestones along the way as, as we move into that, that maiden flight in February 23. So, yeah, we've got a lot of exciting sort of technical development side of stuff there. But, you know, ultimately, you know, we're, we're going to become a, a data company. You know, this this um, aircraft will essentially capture aerial data uh, way more cost-effectively and uh, more frequently than than what you get at the moment. So, Currently, you've got satellites that are orbiting the Earth, you know, 300 plus kilometers, and uh, but they're they're often too far away to actually get high resolution images cost effectively. Uh, so most of the high resolution stuff that you see, like on Google Maps, tend to come from aircraft, and um, yeah. But you know, for example, in Canterbury, um, ECAN locally here, that they uh, put a big chunk of money into getting this aerial imagery, but it, it uh, takes about three or four years for all of Canterbury to be updated. So we're getting very infrequent updates on what's happening with our waterways, our land use, and uh, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, we'll be looking at really increasing the frequency of, of what type of imagery uh, people are getting at that high resolution. So in the, in the stratosphere, we can sort of combine um, getting high resolution with, with that frequent updates uh, and all zero emissions you know there's no fuel that that's uh, being burned you know we'll, we basically will be flying this care atmos aircraft for months at a time so it'll be continually mapping for precision agriculture um, environmental monitoring uh, and there's so, so a whole whole range of different applications basically we'll be collecting a whole lot of data you know we'd like to have a, a fleet of these vehicles operating in new zealand and then move into australia then move into the asia pacific area so yeah, basically we'll we'll be collecting a lot of data for a lot of really useful applications, and you know I'm I'm really keen to contribute something positive towards you know, climate change um, problems. Uh, I think this is the perfect platform uh, to do that with. Uh, but at the same time, there's also a bunch of commercial opportunities as well, whether it's 
uh, wineries that they, they want to maximise their vines or uh, forests needing to uh, make, you know, what, what parts of the forest need to be growing better, which, what, which parts of the forest are thinned out um, through to farms that are, are looking to uh, maximise what they're doing on their land and, and waterways. Well, it sounds like that there's uh, really a whole lot of opportunities and, you know, it's always the way with uh, with new innovations and new technology that uh, you kind of often open up a sort of can of worms in a, in a good way, sort of, you know, a whole lot of opportunities and, and things that, uh, you know, you might not have... Uh, um, you know, folks might not have recognised could uh, could be an opportunity, and uh, yeah, we you know see that in a in a lot of areas. Um, but uh, yeah, in in your case, it uh, I guess is um, is interesting in that this is an area where are there any other players that are sort of doing something something similar um, at the moment, or do you you think you'll be um, you know in a very uh, very very strong position? Um, you know, as as you move forward without a lot of competition, sort of you know sitting above, I guess tr- you know traditional planes that are very very expensive to put up and to you know collect photos and telemetry and so on, um, and of course um, you know satellites. I haven't come across a, a whole lot that uh, seems to be um, you know in in direct competition. Yeah, well, there are a few stratospheric projects. Um, or- mainly based in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, there's the Airbus project that have been doing some flights out of Australia. Uh, so, yeah, but a lot, of, a lot of those are sort of focused on the telecommunications or military applications. Um, yeah, we may get into telecommunications as well down the track, but we're, we're focused on, on aerial imagery uh, with a commercial pers- uh, focus. So, yeah, and even then, you know, I think there's, there's scope for a, a lot of... Um, innovation in the stratospheric area so yeah we'll, we'll see what happens but you know we, we certainly want to be there early on and, and, and be innovating um, in those areas but you know there's always going to be satellites you know they're going to be capturing vast amount of data um, from those orbital attitude, altitudes and, and that's great um, and you're still going to have aircraft doing certain amounts but you know I think we're going to be in a certain uh, sweet spot for what we're doing and we'll be supplementing the data that Will, will be able to be acquired, and uh, yeah, we, we're feeling you know pretty good about where we could fit into the ecosystem. Fantastic! And when you look at, at New Zealand and at, and the the South Island, uh, you know where there seem to be uh, um, some very uh, smart grads coming out of the University of of Canterbury. Um, you know what are you, what are your hopes for for New Zealand and the aerospace and uh, you know uh, the yeah, broader aerospace sector and and new space? Um, you know how confident are you of the opportunities that uh, that exist for us? Yeah, well, sort of wearing my other hat, I'm also on the committee of Aerospace Christchurch, and uh, is a group of us industry participants and you know people working in local government and university, etc. You were all kind of working together to try try and help build. Uh, the local ecosystem here, and also we're, we're moving into national projects as well. So yeah, there's a lot of us here that are you know really motivated to to create a really vibrant aerospace industry in New Zealand and and create a, a, you know help nurture companies uh, to employ uh, local people and, and bring in uh, people that we need to internationally as well. I think New Zealand has a fantastic opportunity to leverage off what we're already doing and. and uh, and, and move into into more aerospace projects. 
So I, th- I think it's a really exciting time. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens over the next few years. But if we can attract, you know, more companies like Merlin Labs and Whisk, and, and what if we had ten Rocket Labs? And what would New Zealand look like then? I think I think it would be be pretty exciting. So and, and you know a lot of the people that they'll work at Rocket Lab for a while or they'll work at Key Aerospace for a while, then they'll go and set up their own companies. Uh, and you know if we can sort of build this momentum and you know, graduates from UC and Auckland, et cetera, instead of them, they only had sort of a couple of career options if they were wanting to get into aerospace. They could go work at Rocket Lab or they had to go off to another country. Um, you know, what if we gave them the idea, hey, you can actually set up your own startup. You can start up your do it. You've got this whole ecosystem here that's going to support you and your bright aerospace idea. What You know, what if people uh, were doing that here in New Zealand? And then we've got existing companies that are already working in manufacturing or, or different elements you know, they can pivot into doing more aerospace applications. And then we can also attract those uh, international companies because New Zealand is a favourable place to do aerospace business. We've got the talent, we've got the right environment to, to make all that happen. Well, what would be the biggest um, the biggest challenges you think you've had to learn and, and overcome, um, you know, during, during your time within uh, the sector? Well, there's a challenge every week, Paul. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I think it's just, uh, yeah, just just keep working through whatever whatever is ahead of you. Um, just just find that find a way. Um, but I think initially it was just really selling to people that hey, aerospace is a thing, and New Zealand can be part of it. And you know, it's, it's, it's it has been an evolution, and and now we have a space agency. You know, we never used to have a, a New Zealand space agency. Now now we have one. And, that, and, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, that, that's sort of laying the groundwork of a space future for New Zealand. I, th- I think you've, uh, you've, you've you know, clearly had uh, had a lot of vision that you've held on to quite, quite strongly because I, uh, I can imagine it would be certainly an easy space to sort of, you know, give up and sort of feel as though at times you're banging your head against a, a brick wall um, but you know you've you've kept going, obviously, and um, you know have uh, um, you know shown a lot of a lot of tenacity, and I think that's that seems to be something that's uh, that's that's really re- required um, because there's a lot of breaking new ground, isn't there? As, as you say, new new challenges uh, on an ongoing basis. Well, you know, even the, you know from the early days of, of Rocket, you know, we had a lot of advocates and a lot of people helping helping us on our way. So you, you don't just do this by yourself. You know, people, certain people want to become part of your story and or you become the part of their story or, or whatever. You know, there's a, a lot of people do have a vision for the future and, and, and they want to see something different uh, happen. So, yeah, I, I think that there, there are a lot of, a lot of people in New Zealand that uh, are really interested in innovation and, and seeing where technology can take us. I think we've got a massive opportunity in this country uh, to do things in a different way. You know, we can look at our disadvantages and sort of spin them around and say, you know, how do we actually put this in our favour? And, you know, you, to, just because we didn't have that large investment and we don't don't have all of those organisations here, it doesn't mean that we can't work with those organisations or do things in a compelling way that makes people want to work with us. Now, um, something that, that seems uh, you know reasonably unusual about uh, Kia Aerospace uh, is that you're using um, solar power 
and uh, you know we we have ongoing uh, environmental um, and carbon footprint uh, you know types of types of issues and. Uh, I guess at at times we could uh, we could look at the aerospace sector um, as heading in the wrong direction, but uh, but you seem to be heading in a in a pretty uh, encouraging direction from uh, from from that perspective. Um, do you, how um, how good do you think are the opportunities to um, you know to leverage solar in, in different ways uh, going forward and and electric you know technology uh, in general. Um, you know, ac- across the aerospace sector, it, you know, it does seem as though there's uh, a lot of uh, R and D and 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 uh, and innovation in the area at the moment. Yeah, I think yes, there are certain projects that uh, electric power are, are really ideal for, especially if we've got all this nice hydro uh, generation down here in the South Island. And uh, you know, if there are going to be opportunities in the future where we get more access at cheaper rates to that that hydro generated electricity, then uh, I think that's going to be fantastic. You know, what if we set up some data centres uh, down in the South Island and, you know, that, that I mean, again, we're going to be a data company, so it's going to be really attractive for us if, we, if we've got that kind of set up uh, down there and it's, all, and it's all, you know, from green renewables. Uh, so I think that, that that's a key part to it. And for, this, for the South Island, again, you know, and, and New Zealand as a whole, you know, how, how do we kind of leverage off that? And we're starting to see electric planes. Uh, we've got the first electric plane here um, with uh, Electric Air uh, operating here in, in Christchurch. Uh, we are, we're starting to see companies that are investing in uh, electric aircraft for their fleets. So I think that that's going to be really exciting. And, yeah, we're going to see greener fuels for, for avgas and, and rocket fuels. But, you know, I've, I've actually just been listening to um, uh, an audio book with uh, by Stephen Hawking, you know, and he's um, obviously recognised as a genius, and he, he believes that, uh, or believed that, uh, you know, it's, it's crucial for humanity to invest in the space technology. And you know, even though it might not be the the greenest thing on its own, you know, it'll add up to providing some amazing solutions uh, for humanity in the future. Uh, so it's it's one of those things that we we really need to seriously look at. You look at the Apollo program. And, and all the technology benefits uh, that, that spun out of that. And I, th- I think as humanity does move into space, we're going to have to look at um, self-sustaining systems and doing things in a more environmentally friendly way. And, and also, yeah, as our population growth uh, keeps on happening, you know, we're, we're going to have to find more resources and, and, and find new space. So I think it's inevitable that we kind of need to ease the burden, burden on our planet in some way and, and space technology is a tangible way to do that. Um, any last sort of tips or anything that you can share with uh, with others that are maybe maybe they're they're looking at this sector and thinking, boy, it just seems so exciting, but they're not sure whether there's a whether there's a place um, for them, um, or maybe it's for for entrepreneurs who have, who have got some ideas and wondering whether to start something. Um, what would be your advice there? Yeah, well, check out um, the Aerospace Christchurch website, Christchurch.space. You know, we have regular meetups. And, you know, I'm, I'm amazed we're up to our um, 21st meetup coming up on the 30th of November. And I'm amazed at how many cool projects that are going on. You know, there's actually a whole lot of space activity that no one even really uh, hears about, you know, aviation and, and space, aerospace projects that uh, are happening in, in New Zealand. There's so many amazing people doing super cool stuff. 
Um, and there's meetups starting up in Auckland as well, but uh, obviously COVID has sort of uh, stymied that a little bit, but I'm sure they'll be getting back underway next year. Uh, we've got, actually got a um, New Zealand Aerospace Summit coming up uh, in February next year as well. So if you ch check out that Christchurch.space website. So I think just um, I'd encourage people to connect with each other and cross-pollinate, you know, reach out to people that are doing interesting stuff, grab a coffee. Uh, and, yeah, I think it's just about connecting everyone and, and uh, yeah, I, I think interesting things will happen. And for those that are interested in finding out more about Kia Aerospace or connecting with yourself, uh, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, well, um, yeah, certainly go to kiaaerospace.com uh, or Christchurch.space, check out some of the events that are going on there. Uh, and uh, yeah, if, if you're interested in aerospace, you know, there's a lot of lot of cool podcasts and you know, space space, and all sorts of people are doing some interesting stuff. So uh, yeah, I, th I think you know, just keep an eye out for what's going on and, and try and get involved. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, looking forward to how uh, how the sector grows and uh, just you know what new opportunities are are ahead of us. Uh, but I really appreciate you uh, sharing some time. Uh, with us here on uh, engineeringdreams.space uh, podcast. Thank Great. you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Jess.